would ask that uh, you do remember Pastor John MacArthur. Uh, he has been attacked again by the same liberal woman. She calls herself an evangelical, but she's very progressive. Believes in women preachers. Has questions about whether the word of God is true in certain areas. Doesn't even consider other areas that I think are very important that have to be considered when you're considering the word of God. In the area of the government of the church and its counseling services and the things that it does and provides according to what the word of God declares for them to do. And so it's just another hit piece by a liberal, and we need to pray for him. She has hit him in the last two years with 45 different articles. And uh, I think it's time for God to bring his wrath down upon anyone who touches a man who has done much. I don't agree with everything he says theologically. Uh, if I had my way, I'd change some of it. But nevertheless, he teaches... The purity of the gospel in the teaching or soteriology of the Reformed faith. And for that, we are gratefully thankful. And he has done that around the world. They have had a huge ministry. Um, and so please keep him in prayer. He is about, I think, 84 years old or 83 years old. Uh, he does not need this. This is Satan fighting against him. And uh, we want him to be victorious. And as long as he is able to preach the Reformed faith in his understanding of it, I agree it's not what we would call historically Reformed, but it is today often classified by most Reformers as being somewhat of a Reformed faith, that we would uphold him before the Lord and we would pray against those who would seek to do damage against our Christian brother in the Lord and would try to smear him with their liberal, progressive theology. Uh, I have no doubt that if this was a political thing, this would be a Democrat smearing a Republican, and you know how that goes. So anyway... I just wanted to make that admonition as a small commercial before we get started because this is someone who is definitely in need. A lot of health issues going on in their lives. He's doing good, and uh, he's had to take some time off periodically, and he does at his age to rest. Don't blame him. Uh, and so if you would, please keep him in your prayers. We are continuing our study on the biblical doctrine of sanctification. I will preach the sermon, if I can today, or until the pain gets so bad in my leg that I'm just going to have to quit preaching. Can't guarantee I'll get through it, but I'll certainly try. We have looked at this doctrine very importantly, and we looked at our scripture text, if you'll remember, Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. So important a text. Pursue peace with all people. That doesn't mean at any time can you not pursue truth or that you can 
put truth aside to have peace. That's the way the liberal says to do it. Well, we need to be at peace. Yes, but there's issues here that we're dealing with in the church. Oh, it doesn't matter. We need to have peace. Peace at the expense of truth is not biblical. Truth is biblical. Truth is authoritative. Truth is true because God thinks it to be true. And for no other reason. The Bible is very clear on that. We've seen that in so many of our lessons that we've looked at over the years here in our church. So we have this great admonition from the Apostle Paul. Pursue peace with all, not part of the people, not the ones you want to choose. Pursue peace with all people. Peace in the truth. And holiness being set aside. Be at peace with all people and remind ourselves that we are what? A holy, righteous people. We are set aside. We are pursuing the righteousness of Christ based on what he has fulfilled on the cross in keeping the law of God toward us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Now here's where it gets really hard. Without which, no one will see the Lord. He didn't say you might not see him. He said you will not see the Lord. Now, that frightens me. I hope it frightens you as well. It means that God is expecting us to live out this commandment constantly. There are no exceptions to it. Our righteousness is based on fulfilling the law of God, Being separate from the world, though living in it, but being peace, being at peace with all people, but not at the expense of truth. Thus he says, look at diligently, test anyone, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. He said, if you don't do these things, if this isn't in your heart, it's not that you'll lose your salvation. You've never received it. You fall short of the grace of God. It's not in your life. It's why you can't achieve it. If you have the grace of God, you have the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, He changes your inner being with that desire to pursue peace and holiness. Thus he says, lest any root of bitterness. Ah. What happens when we're not pursuing peace? Think about this for a minute. 
Think of what he has just said. Falling short of the grace of God, if they fall short of the grace of God, what will happen? A root of bitterness will spring up and cause trouble. Why? Because they can't pursue peace. In truth, they can't pursue their holiness, and they know what their final judgment is going to be. And you know, I tell you, it's amazing. I know people who say, well, you know, I believe, even if I don't do this right, I'm still going to get into heaven. I'll, I'll make it right before I die. Problem is, sometimes they die before they thought they were going to. And then what happens? The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You're judged by God. That's like playing craps. You're hoping that even if you didn't quite get it all right, he's going to say, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen that way. He is relentless in his demands. Our God is relentless. We must obey him. And so it is, we have been looking, in particular, at these very important doctrines that we have been considering over the last few weeks. We said that there were basically four areas that we want to look at, and yea, a fifth, if possible, we might include it with the fourth pending. We talked about how to define sanctification. We talked about what was its concern in your life. We just finished what is the agent of justification. That which is required for you to be sanctified. What must indwell you? And if he doesn't indwell you, how do you know the difference? And we looked at that in Galatians. The works of the flesh are these. But the works of the Son of God, the fruit of the Spirit, manifest themselves in these ways. In the same chapter, it makes the comparison. Chapter 5. Well, this Lord's Day, we want to look at what I think is a very, very important doctrine that we must here conclude with, which is the means of sanctification. Now, let's look to the Lord our God in prayer, and then we will continue. Our Holy Father, we thank you for your word. The word teaches us the truth. It doesn't change. Oh, we can misinterpret it. We can try to interpret it in a way to hide our sins. But you'll expose that in the end. You expect of us peace and holiness. That when we fall short of the grace of God, there is going to be a root of bitterness spring up 
They don't like holiness. And they don't like peace. But you'll expose it. And so, Father, let us always be examining our life, making our calling election sure of God. That we truly are walking in thy word as you have commanded us. We ask, O oh Father, now that you will bless us in this time together. And we pray, O oh God, that as we come here to examine your word, you will allow your spirit and word to control our being before you. To show we have not fallen short of the grace of God, but we are striving to keep his grace. That we would not be bitter, angry. Anger that is righteous is one thing. It's anger against sin. Not anger as a result of being caught in sin. That's that anger that he's talking about, that root of bitterness that will spring up in them who do not know you. Now, Father, we ask you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what the Spirit and the Word would teach us in this hour. In Christ's name, amen. While we are dependent upon the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, as we pointed out in the agent of sanctification, we must also take into account that sanctification is a process that draws within its scope the conscious life of the believer. The believer knows that the Spirit of God is working in him. And it progresses to work. It convicts him of sin. Now, the response to that is, the sinner is either, one, going to let a root of bitterness grow up in him, or two, he's going to double down and pursue peace and holiness of life in the Spirit. There are no great areas in this doctrine of sanctification. Can you sin? Of course you can. But you're going to get convicted of it. And also, there's a price to pay. Just because you sin and think, well, I ask God to forgive me, doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences. Now, sometimes they're not as grave as they could be, and so we don't think anything about it. Sometimes the consequence doesn't show up for years. That's up to God to decide. He cannot be unjust in any way that he chooses to pay us for our sins. But God, be careful. Scary thing to fall in the hands of a living God. So well says it. But it shows up eventually. It does its damage 
And God stands there in judgment of us because we cannot escape its consequences. We can be forgiven, but sin has consequences. All sin does. What that consequence is, I could not tell you, except for it is God's judgment for what we have done. And truthfully, you would expect that. I'm reminded, if you remember a few years back, there was a woman who was in Texas who had gotten saved. Actually was living a very, very good life. She had killed in a robbery one or two people. She was on death row. And her attorney, against her will, wanted to get her off death row. When they ask her why she was fighting it, she says, I have become a Christian. God has forgiven me. But there is a just payment for my crime that needs to be carried out. And I'm willing to die because I did the crime. Kind of reminds you of that little statement, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Well, her time was to be ended very quickly. And she agreed with that. The average Christian today would be screaming out, Oh God, let the courts grant me mercy. So I killed 100 people. Let them grant me life. Why? Why would we even think something would be biblical like that? Because you're a Christian, because you are a Christian, you should want the righteous judgment of God. You should want the state to do what God has ordered it to do. So the spirit working in you makes a conscience Make your conscience, my conscience, very aware of the progression of our sanctification. Our desire to reach up to that state of perfection, if we could. We can't do it, but we strive for it. We strive to kill sin in our life and reach toward perfection but at last we know cannot be reached here, but only in the next life. Now listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, you have proven yourself to be obedient to what God has commanded, whether I am with you and you're putting on a show, but more so proven in my absence. You have continued in obedience. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about trying to get saved. 
He already says you've obeyed. That's evidence of your salvation. But we are to work out our salvation, our calling in Christ with fear and trembling every day. Work it out. Walk in it. Seek to glorify God. For it is God who works what? In you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Did you get that? It is God who is working in you to both will and to do. For you to have the will and for you to do what is his good pleasure. The late professor John Murray from Westminster Seminary wrote this. Listen to what he says. Good works in us, excuse me, I'm sorry, God works in us and we also work. God's causing us to do good things. So while it is God who is the efficient cause of it, we are actively pursuing it. We are involved. Good works that are not including our involvement are not good works at all. Can't be. God cannot do the good works on your behalf. You must do the works that he, what, causes you to do. God works in us. That is the efficient cause. And we also work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effort of God's working in us. You see, he makes it very clear. Not the willing to the exclusion of the doing, and not the doing to the exclusion of the willing. Of course not. And thus he says, but both the willing and the doing. And this working of God is directed to the end of making us to will and to do that which is what? Well-pleasing to him. God is at work. We are affected by his grace. His spirit directs us to do his will, and to fulfill what is required in the word. You're not going to have one without the other. It's impossible. It's like saying I can be justified without having any sanctification of life. Cannot be done. Or I can be sanctified without justification. Cannot be done. Brethren, this is our sanctification. The putting off of the old man and the continual putting on of the new man for the purifying of the whole man. 
body and spirit. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 24. And that you put on the new man. That's not something that you can do without the Spirit, but it's something that the Spirit isn't going to do and avoid you being involved. The command is to those who say they're in Christ, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he says in Colossians 3.10, Paul again speaking, and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Very important. We have an innate idea of divinity within us. It's undefined. If you simply would worship that without the purity of the word or its specificity, it's idolatry. How do you know the truth concerning us being created in the image of God? After his likeness, he says it right here. You do it by putting on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge. He has, his knowledge has been altered in order to glorify God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace Do you understand why he says pursue peace with all men? Now may the God of peace. If God creates you to be in his image through the renewing of the man that is in the image of him, that is of the Father, through Christ, you're going to know the God of peace. And the peace of God will reign in you. Now may the God of peace himself, what? Sanctify you completely. In other words, there is a progression, a calling that you are to strive to be complete in your sanctification. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body Be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole man is being called to the whole Christ. Not only your inner man, but your outer man. The whole man is being called to Christ. I don't know of a doctrine more important in this life that is so essential to the Christian walk 
than this doctrine. And the means of grace that God has given to us through the agent of his spirit who indwells us by which we are able to progress in our sanctification, that we are constantly putting on the mind of Christ, not apart from the word, but according to that very word. If the Spirit is renewing us and directing us, it's not going to be against the word, because he's the one that wrote the word through men. So the word and your thinking. You know, when somebody comes up and says, well, I think the Spirit of God is telling me to do this, and it violates the word of God, the answer is you're lying. You're deceived. The Spirit of God is not going to tell you to go against his word. You're casting aspersions upon God as if he can't think it through. And he's got to play it out minute by minute, day by day. What a lie. That's why we have the word. The word made more sure being put into writing the divine wrote in chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The question is, do you desire to follow the Spirit? We're back to the concept of what sanctification is. Are you wanting to kill sin in your life in order that you might put on the new man and live in the grace of God, following what he has commanded us to do. To put on the fruit of the Spirit as it is manifest in us and to walk in the good works that were ordained, Paul says in Ephesians 2, for us. Not our good works, what God calls good works. Definition is always left to God, not to man. So I ask you, do you know this means of sanctification? Are you using it? You're going to struggle all your life. Expect to struggle. It's a war that goes on within I'm just asking you, are you a good warrior for Christ? I'm not asking you, are you sanctified completely? I'm not asking you, do you not sin anymore now? My assumption is, you're going to sin every day. My question is, are you trying to kill it? Are you trying to put it to death? Are you at war with sin in your life? Well, one thing that is evident of God's grace working in you is no root of bitterness. Because God controls everything. There is no bitterness. If you're angry about something in your life you don't like, 
You're just sticking your fist up in the nose of God saying, this is not what I want. I don't like it. You've made a mistake. I don't recommend that, really and truthfully. You take a war out on God, you're going to lose. The answer is, can you say, I will strive to do what God has commanded me, and as I go through life, and as I have obstacle after obstacle that come into my life, many of my own making. Some put there by Satan himself, through his minions. Nevertheless, I will in love, in peace, in joy, in kindness, in faithfulness, I will pursue the grace of God. For I know that my God reigneth, and he governs my life. Yeah, it's easy to get angry. Get angry at sin. There's nothing wrong with being angered at sin. There's nothing wrong with real righteous anger, but that is used as an excuse usually for sin. God has control. He does all things well. He's never late. He never does wrong. Where is your hope? Where is your faith? Who are you really trusting? Do you have bitterness in your life? Or do you have that love and peace? Because if you have the love and peace of Christ, you're not going to have bitterness. You can't. It's not supposed to be there. If you do, you don't have the grace of God. You're not a Christian. I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what you believe. I'm going to follow the word. The word says you're not going to make it. And that should make all of us fear to watch our lives more carefully. To ensure that we are pursuing peace with all people and the holiness that God has called us unto. Lest we fall short of the grace of God. That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Is that you? Is that the person you are? Are you becoming a sanctified saint? Or are you just becoming a grumpy old person? I don't care if you're 14, 12, 10, 8, or 90. When you're angry, when a root, uh, when the Root of bitterness springs up in you. You're unhappy with life. You're unhappy with truth. Beware. God has given us signs that say, don't go down this road. It's a dead end. And dead you will be. 
And I would too. Are you going to struggle with it? Of course you are. But I've told you how to overcome through Christ by his spirit. And I have showed you the signs. You'll never stand before God ever again and say, I didn't know. I got news for you. You do now. Are you struggling? Are you striving to do sanctification in your life? May God grant you the grace to really think this through. Make a stand for Christ in your life. Eternity. This is not eternity. This is a short period of time. Eternity. Life without time is really a long time to be punished by God. Shall we pray?